Today I am speaking with Amir Hassan, the Clinical Director for Accident and Emergency Services at Epsom and St Helier. In this episode, we cover what it's like to do Amir's job, how he got into medicine, and what the plans are for acute services at our hospitals. Welcome to the Your Epsom and St. Helia podcast. Today I'm joined by Amir Hassan. Hi Amir. Hi. Um, so could you just start off by introducing yourself? Yeah, my name's Amir Hassan. I'm Clinical Director for Emergency Medicine at Epsom and St. Helia's NHS Trust. Okay, cool. My role literally is, um, I, I'm in charge of organising the departments uh, okay. on both sides. So okay. literally the staff in the management and making sure that we try and deliver the best care we can to our patients. Okay, so qu- quite an uh, important and varied role. You, you, you stretch across a lot of different disciplines there, don't you? You are quite stretched in the role um, and it is a lot of work, but it is actually very satisfying when you see mm-hmm. the good results and when you actually see all the thank you letters coming in uh, for all the staff and all the work that they've put in, it is very rewarding in that aspect. Excellent. Yeah, I can imagine because um, you have a lot of, with, with being an ED, yeah. you have a lot of very serious injuries coming in, don't you? And, and Yeah, I mean, the number of patients you have coming in has increased dramatically. So you have lots of patients coming in. Uh, but it's often those patients who have actually felt more of the human touch. You've taken the pain away. You've made them feel better. Um, you've listened to them. You've taken uh, on board all of their concerns. Mm. Those are the patients actually who are most thankful. Um, yeah. And I think everyone's grateful for the NHS for all the work that all the staff put into it. Good, good to hear that uh, people do appreciate the work that's done there. Yeah. And um, I know that what win- winter is coming is a is a common phrase here yep. and, and across the NHS. Yep. And then I think it starts off in ED um, yep. and then has a knock-on effect yep. throughout the whole hospital. It was it was very painful, and it seems yeah. to always creep on us, creep up on us with with surprise. Even though we plan for it, yeah, it still always hits us and surprises us every year. So yeah, it, it's just one of those things. I suppose there's, there's only so much preparation you yeah. can do. You can try and prepare and plan, but unfortunately, some of the circumstances. Uh, are out of your control. So whether you can recruit staff, whether you can retain staff, uh, retain staff, yeah. um, all of these things have a huge impact on us. Yeah, definitely. Unfortunately, we know that sometimes people come into A and E, and maybe they should have gone sure. somewhere else. Um, what do you think people should be coming to A and E for, and when do you think they should? consider other sure. options uh, i mean i think patients should be coming to a&e for several different reasons i mean the, the main reason that they have is are you acutely unwell do you have severe chest pain do you think mm. you're having a stroke are you having a major bleed um yeah. are you severely septic all of these things are you collapsed uh, have you had a fall and suffered injuries where you suspect yeah. you may have a break or something that needs an x-ray yeah. all of these things are justifiable a&e attendances unfortunately um it's difficult for people to know what's serious and what's not serious. Yeah. Not everyone's a doctor, not everyone's a nurse. No. And when you're in pain or when you're not feeling well, you're obviously going to be concerned. So it's very difficult for everyone to understand what really needs to come into A&E. Mm. Uh, and I think to try and prevent A&E attendances, I think really if someone's not sure, then they've got two um 
two very good things within the NHS which they can go to. Yeah. You can either contact 111, yeah. okay, a good advisory service, and actually they redirect a lot of patients to the appropriate place. So sitting four hours in an A&E department, which is very cold, just to be told actually we don't need to do anything, yeah. is not the best thing for a lot of people. But yeah. they can redirect to pharmacy, they can redirect back to GP or to self-care. Um, the other option people have is the GP. Yeah. Uh, to contact the GP practice and often the GPs can call them back, go through a quick telephone triage or just go through their sim- go through their symptoms and give them their advice. So I think from my perspective, you know, if you're not feeling well, if you're concerned, which everyone naturally is, call 111, call uh, your GP. But if you're severely unwell or something which is obviously going wrong really badly, just dial 999. Yeah. I've had the experience of using 111 myself, yeah. and they're very good. Yeah. You normally get a response very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so definitely, I think, a really good first place to go if you're not sure. And obviously, if you're really seriously hurt, you need to go to any. Yeah. But if, if you're, you're not sure, then probably that means you should dial 111. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little bit about sort of linking up with other... So we, talk, we talked about GPs. Sure. So linking up with other health and social care organisations. Yes. Could you give us a little rundown of how that works with your department? Well, I mean, the A&E department is obviously the focus of the hospital and also a lot of the community care because anything which needs to come into the hospital as an emergency comes through us. Um, In the A&E department, we liaise a lot with our general practitioners. They send patients to us. We send patients back to them. Um, And the management of patients doesn't begin or end in the A&E department. If someone's unwell, it usually starts off in primary care with a GP. You may have a urine infection. GPs may be giving you some antibiotics, hasn't sorted it out. So what do you do on a Sunday afternoon when you can't get hold of it? You pitch up in A&E. So we have a lot of communications with GPs. um, But from our perspective and from my perspective, I have a lot of respect for the GPs in our local community. Uh, they work very hard. They're a very sensible bunch of doctors. They're a senior bunch of doctors, so mm. people who've been qualified for a long period of time. And they're able to manage most conditions out in the community without sending them into hospital. So I think the work of the GP is very much underrated. Um, they're a great resource to our community, and they really should be appreciated for all the work that they do. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. There's quite a lot going on at the moment to improve both sure. of our A&Es, aren't there? Yeah. Um, could you give us a little explanation as to what we're doing? The number of patients that we've got has gone up. The acuity of the patients have gone up. So the sickness levels of our patients has got much worse. With the elderly, you know, 10 years ago, if you came across a patient who was 100, you know, everyone would throw a party in the A&E <laughs> department. Nowadays, coming across a patient who's 100 is the norm. You don't bat an eyelid when you see them. Yeah. Uh, so the age of the patients has gone up, and that means that generally they get sicker quicker mm-hmm. and more often. Uh, given that then, our A&E departments, which were designed well, 10, 13 years ago for Arabism and about five years ago for St. Helier's, mm. they've now, they're not fit for purpose. No. Okay, there's not enough space, there's not enough capacity to deal with the patients that are coming through, and there's not enough space to actually deal with the new process that we have. So we try and manage more patients in the A&E department on the same day right. and send them home the same day rather than admitting them onto a ward, having them sit there for a couple of days on end, waiting for investigations, tests, treatment, to try and get them back home quicker uh, into their own environment. Um, so 
the A&E departments have had to be changed quite significantly. So on the St. Helier side, what we've done is we've increased our resus capacity from four patients to th- seven patients. Mm-hmm. We've increased the size and the layout of our majors area. We had a lot of patients coming through by ambulance that were sitting in chairs all over the place and actually clogging up the entrance to the main A&E department. Mm. So we've designed an area for those patients to sit in comfort and in privacy with full oxygen alarms and all the things that are required to take care of patients to give them patient privacy and dignity. Mm. Um, We've also increased our capacity for our clinical decision unit, which is our area where um, if a patient requires slightly longer care uh, than the four hours that we can normally give them in the a department, we move them to this area where they can have extra fluids or assessment by physio and OT uh, and then hopefully go home afterwards. So we've tried to improve the services that we can uh, to try and get patients home as quickly as possible. Excellent. Okay. So adapting with the times as much as possible. You have to adapt with the times. You can't stay stagnant. No, definitely not. On that subject of change, looking forwards to the future, as a clinician, what do you think would be a smart decision for our trust going forwards? Our trust has already put forward the plan to consolidate all of our acute services on one site. Mm. Mm Because I think one site where you have all of your acute services, so your emergency department, your acute physicians, your surgical assessment, uh, your ITU, your emergency theatres, Um, And that just means that if we can consolidate our resources rather than being stretched very thin, you'll be able to increase the number of consultants that you have seen patients. Um, And we know that if you're sick, if you're unwell, you would far rather see the most senior doctor first time. Yeah. rather than have to wait 12 to 14 hours going through a series of junior doctors to wait and see the senior. So by consolidating your services on the acute site or on the emergency site, you then uh, are able to uh, treat those patients better first time, yeah. get it right first time, and then shorten their patient journey in hospital yeah. so you can get them back home quicker. So that's for the plan for the acute site. And what about our other hospital sites? It will still be very active. It yeah. will still be, actually, if you're elderly, uh, if you're frail, mm. and you need that little bit of extra care before you go home, what we want to try and aim to do is to get physios, get OT, get social services, get the district nurses with the GPs, with the elderly care physicians into the hospital to work together to support these patients and really encourage the mobility to encourage uh, the care that they need to actually get them home quicker. Making sure that we have the resources we need in the place that we need them. Yeah, I mean, you have great examples of consolidation of workforce and how that's worked really well in the system. Um, a few years ago when they were consolidating trauma, heart attacks and strokes, Mm. uh, these were taken away from all the district general hospitals and focused on two, four or five main hospitals in central London. So we only have four hospitals where major trauma gets taken to now. Uh, And it's the same with heart attacks, it's the same with strokes. Mm. But what that has done, although people have a slightly longer journey time, it means that they see the right specialist first time, they have the right treatment first time, Mm. and their care and their outcomes have improved dramatically. Mm. So you've got a great example, even within London, of how such a system works really well, if it's done properly. Yeah, so obviously a lot of thinking and planning has to be done. 
I suppose a little bit about yourself now. Okay. How did you end up as a clinical director? The job of a clinical director is quite difficult. I've been a consultant for 10 years now, mm-hmm. and I was clinical uh, as a normal consultant for about four or five years. Um, and then I was a clinical lead for the department for three years. So I was just focused on St. Helier's at that stage. As a clinical director for the last three years, I've been focused on both sites, trying yeah. to improve the care. Um, and it's a great chance for me to actually make changes. It's a great opportunity for me to develop as a consultant as mm-hmm. well and to develop skills which I think I wouldn't have developed uh, previously. Okay. So you've kind of flourished in your role. I, I think the word flourish depends on who you speak to. But, um, <laughs> I, 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 I think I've grown into the role. I think I've yeah. developed as a doctor and as a consultant and as a person as well. It's changed my management skills. It's improved myself. Uh, and I hope I've made some positive changes to the department. I'm, I'm sure you have, yeah. And uh, you can kind of not expect something almost blindsides you, but once you've got your hands onto it, yeah, you, you've really sort of excelled into it. So that's nice. That's nice. Okay. Um, so leading up to when you were a consultant, before you were a clinical director, mm-hmm. um, where did you where did you study? Uh, if you go right back to the very beginning, I, I actually was born and brought up in Merton. Okay. Uh, so yeah, local. went to one of the local schools, went to actually Merton College in Morden uh, yep. for my A-levels. Uh, and then from there went on to St. George's Hospital. Okay. Um, qualified in 1999 um, and then wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Thought I'd become a surgeon. Yeah. Uh, studied quite hard, passed the exams uh, and then realised I got bored of surgery. Oh, um, right. yeah, the thought of operating on one part of the body for the rest of my life really didn't interest me and I enjoyed the variety of working in A&E um, and then decided to go into A&E training so I trained in southwest London and uh, um, uh, and in Surrey and basically have been a consultant here since 2008. Oh, brilliant so you've always been in the local area. I, I, I did my first uh, house job here in 1999 um and since then i've been doing sorry not 99 yeah 1999 uh and then since then i've been working here on and off ever since okay well that's uh that's a very very impressive amount of time to be with us (laughs) i I think i'm a bit too lazy to travel too far so (laughs) (laughs) but it's good because it it must mean that you know this place so well i'm I'm familiar with this i'm familiar with st heliers i mean at the end of the day um to me, St. Helier's has been like a second home uh, mm. and Epsom as well. It's been like a second home to me. I mean, I've had my children here. Wow. Uh, my family get treated here as well for their care when needed. Yeah. Uh, friends and relatives have come through here. Um, and so when people raise their concerns about the future plans and the plans for consolidating the services uh, on one site, um, all I would say to them is that as a consultant, as a clinician, as a person who uses the services mm. of the trust, I wouldn't recommend something like that unless I felt it was going to provide a good quality service. Yeah. It's the granny test. If you want your granny to go through the system, is yeah. it going to work? You know, you're going to want the best thing. So at the end of the day, from my perspective, the proposals which are put forward for the trust yeah. are really yeah. the ones which safeguard the future of the trust and safeguard best patient care for our community yeah so going back to one of our principles of patient first putting the patient first exactly 
yeah, that, that lines up with that very nicely. Yeah. Last one about your career. For anyone that might be thinking about, as yourself, going into medicine, yeah. how would you have any advice for anyone? Um, uh, I, I would say if you're thinking about it, go for it. Yeah, I, 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 without a doubt, I, I, lots of people, lots of the junior doctors I see nowadays, they often complain, oh, this is overworked, uh, you know, you're underpaid. Mm. And there is that, without a doubt, there is a possibility of going into the city and earning lots of money. Yeah. Uh, but to tell you the truth, the job satisfaction you have of being a doctor, mm. uh, there's nothing else compared to it. Because at the end of the day, patients come to you, they're either in pain or they're really unwell. And you do your best to make them better to yeah. make the pain go away, to make them feel better in themselves. Uh, and they're, you know, they're grateful to you for that. Um, so if anybody wanted job satisfaction, uh, I would fully recommend, you know, if you've got the ability, go for it. We need good quality doctors. We need good doctors who are committed to delivering good patient care. Yeah, good advice. Okay. Um, so lastly, just moving away from medicine entirely. Okay. Um, do you have anything that you like to do in your spare time? Any hobbies, pastimes? Playing football. Football. Going yeah. hiking. Oh, nice. Yeah. Spending time with the family, I suppose. Yeah. Family yeah. man. Yeah. Family man. Three kids. Excellent. Keep me busy. Four-year-olds in charge of the house. <laughs> I suppose that's the same in most houses, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like to make themselves known, don't they, at that they, age? They do. They do. Yeah. They're very vocal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're very demanding as well, but yeah. cute like anything. So. Yeah, they can get away with it, can't they? They can. <laughs> all right um do you have anything you'd like to add just just to finish it off just from my perspective um thank you for inviting me here to oh, no, thank uh, you for uh, take part in this um and for any patients that are listening out there i mean i i would hope that you know if they come to st helia's uh epsom st helia's uh, i hope they have a good experience i hope we solve their problems mm. if they have any issues we're always welcome to feedback because uh, we want to try and develop and improve our services thank you man. okay thank you